Okay, welcome to Six Inch Football. I'm your host, Alex Schimklein, and today we have a very special guest, uh, Dave Kittnell. Kittnell. Kittnell, all right. Um, all right, I guess let's start off. It's, you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. My name is Dave Kittnell. Um, so I've been in the soccer content creation game for a few years now, kind of taking a break. Uh, but I grew up playing the sport, loved it originally from Philadelphia. I was out in California for a while. I am back in the Philly area. And a couple of years ago, I started a podcast with my brothers back in November of 2016. We called it Bros Talking Soccer uh, because we were three brothers. And we just talked about kind of all different soccer topics, mainly focusing on U.S. soccer and European soccer, specifically English soccer. Did that for a few years, kind of shut that down. A little bit ago, or I should say put it on pause. Hopefully we bring it back at some point. And uh, also I have a YouTube channel called The Soccer Tavern where I make videos about the history, culture, and philosophy of the beautiful game. So those are my my soccer-related projects and a little bit of my soccer story. Thanks for having me, Alex. Yeah, thanks for coming on. All right. Um, so I guess we'll just start off with talking about some soccer news. I, uh, so I guess the biggest thing, well, not the biggest thing, one a big thing that's happened right now is Juventus is talking about replacing uh, their manager, Sar, with Pochettino, the Argentine uh, manager who used to manage Tottenham. And I guess um, it's kind of a big deal because, like, he's like, he says he's a special one, and it's all, I guess, coaching drama. But you, you don't really care about Tottenham that much, do you? You're more of a Liverpool fan. I am a Liverpool fan. Uh, I don't have any real animosity towards Tottenham. I've always kind of uh, had some admiration for them, and I think they've they've built themselves into a, a respectable kind of club. I know they're they're having a rough season kind of so far, but Jose's turned things around for them, and Pochettino was a great manager there. I was sad to see him go, but you know, soccer is a brutal sport, especially as as managers and. I think it would be a good hire for Juve, but uh, Sarri, who I believe is there now, isn't isn't a terrible manager. But I, I do think Poch is someone who you can build the club around for a longer period of time. Well, I mean, uh, Juventus—they've been what well, they're top of the league. I think they were pretty close with Inter for a while. All right, so let's move on to United. There's some United news. They're gonna—they're putting in their final bid with. 80 for 80 million for Jaden Sancho from Dortmund, which I mean, it's been speculated for years now. I mean, about like two years, a couple of years, but um, I, I think it's it'd be good for United because they don't really they don't have too good of attacking players. I guess recently they have uh, Bruno Fernandez. It seems like that's a big playmaker. But other than that, they they don't really have playmakers. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I, I think Rashford is definitely more of a finisher, and Martial is just kind of mercurial. Sometimes he can be amazing, and other times he can just be, you know, completely lost out there. I think Sancho's a really good player. I think he's still really young, and a lot of development still needs to happen. Um, I know he came in and sort of displaced Pulisic at Dortmund, but, you know, it, uh, it's it, Sanchez still young in his career, and there could be ups and downs. I mean, Martial first on the scene is just sort of tailed off. So I, I'm not ready to think that Sanchez is going to solve all of United's woes at this point. Yeah. Okay. So keeping on, I guess, United old ex-player Alexis Sanchez linked to 
to Man City again. Uh, Man City was interested with the, with him back when United got him, and now he's at Inter. So, I mean, I really like Alexis Sanchez. I liked his Arsenal days. He's like a fiery little player. Really fun to watch. Yeah, I haven't. Uh, I so I haven't heard that rumor. Uh, I know he was linked there before going to United, right? Is that where he yeah. was? I, I yeah. his career just took such a, a turn. Um, and then I don't know. I don't follow Syria too well. So when he left the Prem, you know, I didn't. I didn't even know he was at Inter. To be perfectly honest with you, so uh, I don't know how that. It, it, it would be an interesting signing for City. I think that they need to overhaul their. It's ridiculous that they need to overhaul their squad, but there are players on there that they, they need to upgrade. And I don't know. I mean, what is Sanchez? I guess he would just be a squad depth player at this point. Was he 31, 32? Um, I don't know how much he would really add to them. I guess it would just be more value than squad depth. For sure. I mean, uh, Sané, isn't Sané? He's going to leave from Bayern. Well, there's mm-hmm. rumors. I don't know if he actually is, but I guess maybe a replacement or a more depth in that position. Okay, uh, so keep it on the Premier League. Uh, Chelsea's they're targeting Ter Stegen from Barcelona. I think it's an interesting move. It'd be an expensive move for sure. I don't know. Uh, I mean, Ter Stegen, I don't know about him. I mean, uh, how do you feel about it? I, I think Ter Stegen's a, a really good keeper, and uh, I know Kepa is there now, and I believe he's the world's most expensive keeper, right? I, I think yeah. he was bought right after Allison. So uh, I, I, I think that that is, he is not the, the best goalkeeper in the world and doesn't deserve to, to have that title. But I, I don't know. I hadn't heard the Ter Stegen to, to Chelsea. And it just, it just feels like Chelsea just wants to spend money after being, you know, having that transfer ban. And so they're just splashing the cash. I don't know if that's the best use of their funds, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, also on Chelsea, so Dean Henderson, he's the United back. I guess he's the backup now. He was on loan at Sheffield United, and his contract is expiring. And Chelsea said they're going to double the wage that United will pay him. So they're going. They're trying to bring more goalkeepers, which is. <laughs> well, I actually like. I actually like a, a move like that because it's a young keeper who. Again, if there's no transfer fee involved, uh, you can pay them, you know, higher wages. And uh, again, it's, I don't know. I, I don't always agree. I mean, I'm a Liverpool fan and the Allison investment actually did pay off. But so often spending a ton of money on goalkeepers is just not a wise investment. And so if you can get a keeper on a free and just pay them more. I think that's much smarter than splashing who knows how much Ter Stegen's going to cost, 50 to 80 million euros and I, I don't know if that's the, the best use of funds so I would say that's more of a savvy move by by Chelsea uh, if they don't get Ter Stegen I think it would be ridiculous to bring in Ter Stegen have Kepa and then sign Henderson but it's Chelsea and they, they just love to spend money oh well, we're gonna continue on Chelsea they're gonna pay so Kai Haverez I guess I guess Chelsea's just gonna take over all the news today. <laughs> but Kai Haverez the Leverkusen uh playmaker they're gonna spend their putting an offer, I guess, for $76 million for him, which Liverpool, I'm pretty sure, is also interested in. And, but um, more money from Chelsea. I think it's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah, I really like him. He's been fantastic for Leverkusen for years now, and I think he's a proven player. He's a little bit uh, younger than I, – I compare him a lot to Julian Brandt, who's done well at Dortmund, but 
I would I, I like Havertz better than than Brandt, and I think that would be a great signing for Chelsea. As much as that pains me to say, uh, because I think he would be awesome at Liverpool. It's just you know I, I don't think Liverpool is going to overspend on players, whereas Chelsea feels comfortable doing that. Well, yeah, I I really like Bundesliga Bundesliga attackers because it's all run 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 fast mm-hmm. fast, um, and didn't uh, Liverpool just got Minamino in January, right? From yeah, Salzburg. he came from Salzburg, yeah, which is Austria, I believe. So, uh, but yeah, kind of the, the German-speaking countries. And the Havertz, Havertz move, uh, it's interesting move from Chelsea as well because they have Plusik, they have Tammy Abraham who can play striker and outside. Who else do they have? They have uh, Hudson Odoi. Yeah. William and, and Pedro are moving on, so I guess I understand it to an extent. But I mean, they also have uh, Loftus Cheek, who can, I know he's more of a central midfield player, but he can play out wide. And, um, you know, Reese James is a little bit more of a, of a defensive player, but even, you know, he can play on the, on the wings a bunch too. Um, it seems like Chelsea's just, you know, going all in on, on restocking and kind of clearing out the old and in with the uh, new and young players. Yeah. Cool. Uh, Yuri and Klopp, he talked about how Chelsea is spending so much money, and he says, well, we don't need to spend money, so much money on this. Like, we're not going to spend money just to spend money, which I think is really smart from a, I guess, not uh, financial side. It's smart from the financial side, but it's also smart from a player side. I mean, I have the utmost faith in Jurgen Klopp from what he did at Mainz and then Dortmund and now Liverpool. Uh, he has earned the right to have people listen to him and just trust that he knows what's best. So if he thinks that Liverpool's young players that are coming through or the players that they have on the squad right now are good enough for next season, I have faith in him. I mean, Liverpool has been stocking up on young players, whether it's their academy or signing young, you know, anywhere from 16 to 20 year old players from other teams and, you know, only spending less than 10 million euros, but kids with a lot of potential. And at some point, you know, you got to give them a a chance and an opportunity to play. And I don't love, you know, I've never been a fan of the Real Madrid approach of just buying the best player in the world who's might be 28 for 100 million euros. Uh, I've always liked you know, investing in youth, watching them develop. And it's cool to see, you know, Liverpool definitely has very talented players in their prime, but they've also kind of committed to this youth philosophy, you know, building for the future. And I'm, I'm excited to see how it plays out. You know, they got the title this year and that was kind of the most important thing from my perspective. Now, I mean, if I have to go through a few years of watching the young players develop and maybe just qualifying for Champions League, but not winning the Prem, I can tolerate it and kind of see, if something like truly legacy, you know, building comes out of all of this. Well, it's interesting, like the youth development side, teams that develop a lot of youth and teams that spend a lot of money. You see Chelsea, they spend a lot of money and develop a lot of youth players. And if you look, if you look at the financial numbers of all the clubs, Chelsea's, they've lost the most money. It's like $130 million, which is pretty crazy compared to, what other clubs are making. So, yeah. Okay, let's move on to some MLS news. As we all know, Inter-Miami is not doing so hot. They're not doing too well. And David Beckham's he put out a quote. I don't know where, but he said, Man United and Real Madrid weren't built in a day. So, 
David Beckham, I think he might be taking a little bit of a of a slower approach to the development of the club. And I mean, it's it's okay in MLS because there's no relegation. So yeah, and also, I mean, so obviously this year is just ridiculous. Like taking a step outside of the soccer world, just everything everyone is dealing with with the whole pandemic and all of that is is crazy. So I can't imagine trying to build a club in the midst of of all of that and. And building a club in MLS is not an easy thing to do. I mean, Atlanta United and LAFC sort of set this ridiculously high bar. But if you look at almost every other expansion team over the years, no, no one's been able to do what, what they've done. And I think the expectations were probably a little bit too high because David Beckham's name and, you know, Miami's a sexy city and all of that. But I think this is just normal growing pains for an expansion side in MLS. And we're... I think five games into the regular season with a huge break in, in the season because of the pandemic. So uh, I think he's got a point that, you know, clubs weren't built in a day, even though, you know, some MLS clubs have, have shown a way of sort of expediting that process. Yeah. Well, if you look at Cincinnati, Cincinnati FC, mm -hmm. they've gone through what three coaches so far in yeah. their year and a half. Yeah. Um, so, and I, I feel like the best MLS clubs over the next five or ten years they're going to be the ones that can develop the youth because salary cap so if you look at new york red bull if you look at seattle those are the best best youth clubs and if you look at la galaxy or um cincinnati they're not doing too well on the youth sides so yeah and so the the union the team i support is doing really well on the youth side new york city fc is doing really well and you know they're turning out players and all that. So it is really exciting uh, being a longtime MLS fan to see like legit youth prospects coming out of MLS academies. And I think it really bodes well for the future of the league, but and it bodes well for the future of the U.S. men's national team. Yeah. So you talked about your club, uh, Philadelphia Union. How do you feel about, so they just got KD recently invested yeah. in them. How do you feel about celebrities investing in clubs? And how do you feel about like Red Bull or uh, the city football group investing in clubs? Yeah, so celebrities, I don't mind, um, especially if they take a somewhat active approach in ownership. And that doesn't mean that they need to be at every game, but, you know, it's, it's nice to see them posting on social media and being supportive. Like Hugh Jackman was actually, uh, I don't even know if he still is, but I know he was involved with the union early on. He was at like a game and then he just like sort of disappeared. Um, so I don't love that type of celebrity ownership, but you see James Harden at Houston Dynamo games and, you know, you see different celebrity, you know, Will Ferrell's at almost every LAFC game. And so it's cool from that perspective. Um, and I'm not expecting KD to be at every union game. I'm not naive to think that, but even him like tweeting about it or, or just showing some sort of engagement, I like. On the, the city football group and, and Red Bull side of things, I understand it and being someone who, you know, kind of works in the business world and, and the American sort of approach to sports, um, that all makes sense. It just kind of sucks because it felt like soccer was a little bit more, you know, pure is, is a, probably a naive term, but it did feel like it was, you know, these clubs and these communities and, you know, you, they could rise and fall with, with a sense of community and, you know, with globalization happening kind of all over the world. I think it was bound to happen and I understand it. It just, you know, just kind of makes me a, a little bit sad, but I get it. I mean, cities, 
Citi's doing the smart business approach. They're leveraging their resources that they have, which are incredible. They're, they're getting these scouting networks and I will give Citi props. They're not just going out and <laughs> they are spending a ton of money, but they are investing in their youth academies. They are developing players as well. And it's not just like they're just taking the Real Madrid approach, buying all these clubs and just stacking them with, with you know, ridiculously $100 million players all over the place. They are investing in developing really, really good players. Jaden Sancho came through a city academy. You know, we were talking about him earlier. And they have some legit players coming through their academies. And, you know, NYCFC Academy... I guess it was still young, but I mean, Gio Reyna, who's breaking through at Dortmund, kind of came through there. I think, I think it's a little bit much to give them too much credit there, but uh, you know, they have the, I, I am not a city fan. And so I don't want to give them too much credit, but I, I really do like the way that they have kind of gone about things from the perspective of hiring all the Barcelona executives and really building the infrastructure of that club for basically long-term success and dominance. So I got to give them props there. Yeah, something I really kind of want to see, like, with clubs, normal clubs in, like, the town, it's, like, the community that's, like, mm-hmm. it's, like, those are the celebrities, that's the, that's part of the community. I, I like to see, like, even Red Bulls, Red Bull, or, like, New York City FC, like, help go into the community and, like, help develop, like, invest in the community a little bit, because I think, yeah, I mean, it just... It just like integrated more with the city, I guess. I mean, it's going to be hard to integrate in New York, but you know. Well, first and foremost, they need a stadium. I think that's NYCFC's biggest problem right now is they don't have a stadium. So they play at Yankee Stadium. They're clearly the second priority in that stadium. And I, I don't even know where their academy is based, but if they can get some sort of home base, you know, with a stadium and build a youth academy in there and really sort of develop uh, around the stadium and then they can get more ingrained in the community I think you're spot on that it could be really good all right so we got a couple more uh some more news we got Chicharito he's kind of he's kind of struggling at Galaxy a little bit I mean I think he might have like one goal in the four games that he's played which is I guess underwhelming if we're talking about Chicharito um but I feel the Chicharito move from Galaxy is good because, I mean, never mind. I don't think Chicharito's a good move. <laughs> Why don't you think it's a good move? Well, I think it's good publicity because uh-huh. a lot of the fans are going to LAFC from the LA area because it's a lot more of like a community kind of feel. Um, but so galaxy galaxy is like the corporate the corporate of of la and lafc is like the the community of la soccer so yeah that's that's a, I, I would agree with that assessment okay la fc is also they're doing pretty well with rossi and rodriguez they're both south american players mm-hmm. with no vela i guess because his wife is pregnant so we didn't go to the bubble Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm pretty sure that's all the news we got. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's get into the question segment. I know that you're you're you got like a degree in marketing, right? Finance. Oh, finance. But are you in marketing? Are you in like the marketing industry? You could say. Kind of. All right. 
um so have you seen like certain uh what is it certain patterns or like in the marketing soccer marketing industry like uh or similarities like this happens a lot with clubs or they try and market something a lot um I'm trying to think of specifically the question. So I think soccer is very just sort of um, business sort of focused and business conscious, especially as the Premier League has sort of taken over the world and, you know, MLS is trying to, you know, do things from a business perspective. I think that they tend to be a little bit more creative than, you know, if I'm comparing it to, to American sports, whether it's baseball or even football to an extent can be a little bit more stodgy. So I think that, MLS or or just soccer in general tends to take more risks and try more things, you know, from a from a marketing perspective that maybe other sports would be, I don't know, scared to try. So maybe from that perspective, I would say that there's a trend. All right. Um, so your scarf collection, you have yeah. a big scarf collection, right? <laughs> why, why did you choose to collect scarves out of all the things? So growing up, I never traveled as a, as a kid. Like all the travel that I did was mainly soccer based and was mainly re regional in the kind of Northeast corridor of the US. And so as a family, we never vacationed. And so when I got into college and started to make some money after college and, and traveled more, I, I just, for whatever reason, I got, I got the itch to like collect something. And the first real trip I ever took was to Germany and uh, when I was there, I visited the Allianz Arena in Munich and bought soccer scarves for myself and my brothers. And just something sort of clicked where it was like, you know, soccer is a global sport. Uh, I like to travel and going to all these places, you know, rather than collecting mugs or shot glasses or keychains or whatever it might be, it might be cool to just get soccer scarves from the places that I visit. And that's where it all started. It was, I think, junior year of college. And then right around that same time, the Philadelphia Union started play and I had been a Sons of Ben member since 2007 but with the inaugural season we were sent a scarf and from there I just got the itch to just like collect scarves so I probably have 20 or 30 different union slash Sons of Ben scarves and then the other 120 I have about 150 scarves but the other 120 are from like my travels whether it's country or city based um, I get them when I go there or if it's like you know, American cities, a lot of times it's tough to, to find somewhere that, that sells the scarves when, when I'm there. So I can order them from Roughneck Scarves or find them online. But uh, almost every scarf I have has some sort of connection to a place that I have been or I have maybe five or so that like friends or family have been to and thought of me and gotten me a scarf. But yeah, about <laughs> I've been to a lot of different fun places and just, you know, I thought it might be cool to spend, you know, 15 or 20 bucks on a scarf as a commemorative item from that place. Yeah, I only got one scarf. It's a Roughneck scarf. It's like Roughneck branded because I talked to the guy at Roughneck and he sent me a free scarf. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Like the same way I asked, asked you for stickers. Yeah. But, all right. Um, so, um, let's see. So, Obviously, you, you, you're a U.S. national team uh, fan. What do you think, how far do you think we'll go in 2022 World Cup? I hope very far. I, I just, first off, we need to make it, right? <laughs> so after the debacle that was 2018, I'm not counting uh, on anything anymore. Uh, so we need to qualify, right? And if we qualify, I mean, 
Pulisic is looking incredible for Chelsea. And you're not going to pin all your hopes on one player, but he's doing some really great things there. And there's a lot of other players breaking through. And Reyna, it's probably going to be a little bit too too early for him, but who knows how the hell he's going to develop over the next two years. McKenny's going to keep developing. There's a lot of good young players breaking through in MLS. And, you know, if they move overseas to, to legit teams, I think that they can make a, a run. Uh, the World Cup is such a tricky tournament to predict, so I'm not going to it, – I think that they can make a quarterfinal run if things fall their way. But, you know, once you get into the knockout stage, like literally anything can happen. So um, – but I am very excited about 2026 and what's going to be happening from a youth development perspective or a lot of those players are going to be entering into their prime or early prime. And I think you, the U.S. can make some serious noise in 2026. Yeah, people people talk a lot about how winning and development are like are you either have one or the other. Like the U.S. Men's National Team say that they're gonna take a development path for a while, I guess, over winning. But then people get mad when they well, people say they want the U.S. the U.S. Men's National Team to develop, but then they get mad when U.S. Men's National Team loses to like teams like uh, Panama or Costa Rica and Costa, and then like people from the US national team say, oh, well, we're taking the development, we're trying to develop like you guys say, but then, well, you guys should still be winning against Costa Rica and Panama. Yeah, and so, there. yeah, when you're getting, so in knockout competitions or just legit national team tournaments at the highest level, we should not be developing. We should be winning, right? That, that is the goal of those tournaments. And especially at the senior men's national team level, there should be no development happening anymore. All the development needs to happen at the youth national team levels and at the clubs and all of that. And so when people say that the men's national team, senior men's national team is developing, I get frustrated with them for being okay with that because that, that shouldn't be happening. Now, if we're talking about implementing a different style of play or something like that, I get that there are going to be growing pains, but again, that all kind of needs to go hand in hand with youth development. And if we're going to be changing our style of play, like that needs to filter through youth development academies or the players need to be trained to be adaptive and to be able to play in different systems or to necessarily have the technical skills to implement those things. I know Burhalter wants to play a passing, you know, style, and I would love that as well, but straight up the U.S.'s technical skills aren't there from enough players, specifically on the back line, and we just see that as soon as they're pressured. Like, watching that game against Mexico, it was just players were freaking out under pressure, and I just don't think that they have the talent to execute that system. But it's a delicate balance, right? It's, it's not easy, but uh, – it all kind of starts at the youth level with MLS continuing to develop better players. Well, I feel, I feel the best way for U.S. Men's National Team to really progress and get to the, I guess, a better, like winning Gold Cup every time, beating Mexico every time, is you gotta be like Brazil or Argentina and you gotta give, like sell your players, as many players as you can to Europe. Just because yes, Brazil has a good league, they have like good players there. They go to the Club World Cup and usually beat ben, like sometimes European clubs, but they ship their players out. They sell all their players to European clubs, which is going to be better for development. They're not trying to, I guess, force players to um, 
develop in their own league, I guess, for the whole career? Yeah, so I think, yeah, because MLS doesn't have the, the talent level of a Bundesliga or Premier League. So I, I would agree with that. You also don't, I, it, every player is different, right? And so I think generally speaking, what you're saying, you know, works, but every, it is going to be different for every player. And also it's going to be different on when the timing is right for every player, right? So like, you know, Pulisic was ready to go over and make an impact right away. Same with Gio Reyna, right? That they're going over, but then you have, you know, the Matt Miazga or Eric Palmer Brown stories where, you know, they go over and they, they don't go to the right club. And so they're on this, this wheel of loans. And I, I, I never like that system for players. So if they move, I would, unless they're at the Pulisic or Arena level where they can compete, you know, with, you know, out of Dortmund or something like that, I would have much rather have seen Miazga go to a mid-level Bundesliga club get embedded there for two years, two or three years, and then move on to a higher level. And I just worry about players just going to Europe because it's Europe, right? They, they, it needs to be a very conscious, thought-out decision for their career. And so I don't think that the end-all, be-all is to just get as many players over to Europe as possible. Um, it is really getting the right systems in place in MLS to develop good enough players who can compete in Europe you know, at earlier ages. So I, I do agree that eventually they need to move over there, but it needs to be the right situations. And it really starts with MLS developing better players at earlier ages. Well, Zach Steffen, he got loaned out, and now they say Man City's going to keep him as their backup because they don't, they don't have any backup keepers, I guess. So I guess it worked out for him, but I guess I think – the only reason he's not being loaned out is because they're limiting the players you can loan out to, I think, eight players. So, Well, but also, I don't know if that does work out for him, right? Because if he's behind Ederson, uh, who's, who's all kinds of wacky. So, like, he might get suspended. He might get injured. So, like, Stefan may get opportunities. But one of the worst things for a goalkeeper is to just be stuck on the bench, especially as a young goalkeeper for three years. I'm, the goalkeeper is – if they're getting playing time for me is the one exception to the loan rule where if they are loaned out and they're getting playing time, which Stefan has been getting, I would much rather that than have him just be sitting on the bench for three years behind Ederson. But I don't know. Uh, hopefully he gets time at city. It's just, it, it worries me to have the number one men's national team goalkeeper for the U S stuck on the bench somewhere. That That's a concern of mine. All right. All right. So, um, uh let's see how do you feel how do you feel about star players going into MLS like Chicharito like all the rumors of Cavani and uh Suarez do you think it's good is it good for MLS and the youth development and development of U.S. soccer so I think they can go hand in hand um I, I think they can be good and bad everything in moderation that's that's probably the best way I can say it um you know, I don't think that the MLS has shed its retirement league, you know, stigma, right? These, these players aren't coming over here and um, dominating or just expecting to coast, right? The, the league has definitely gotten more competitive. And I think they've done a great job of specifically recruiting young South American players who are really on the rise and they're stopping here versus going to, you know, a second tier European league. And so I think that's the wave of the future. But it can't hurt to draw a player who maybe the casual fan knows, you know, might know a Cavani or a Suarez and 
all of a sudden, all right, they're tuning into Air Miami games, right? It, it can't hurt from a marketing perspective, but from a developmental perspective for the league, I think continuing to invest in academies and continuing to recruit those players who would otherwise go to a Denmark or to a Norway or a Sweden or a Ukraine or something like that. If the U.S. can continue to recruit those type of players as a stepping stone before moving on to Syria or the Premier League, that is the wave of the future for MLS. And that's how they're going to get to where they want to get to. So how do you, what do you, you just said the MLS, uh, where they want to get to, where do you think, where do you think, what is the end goal for MLS? Competing with the Bundesliga and Premier League. Uh, I think they. I don't think that they're not. They're delusional to think that they can be bigger than than them, but they can be right in that in that realm within the next ten to fifteen years. Um, and I firmly believe in in them achieving that goal if they invest the right way and continue to develop players and continue to recruit the right players. You know, I'm not saying that MLS is going to be better than those leagues, but it's going to be thought of kind of in the same breath as them you know kind of like league uh gets a gets a bad rap um but it's still a very very good european league i think mls can be kind of in that you know mentioned in that conversation yeah so moving on to the colorado rapids um so corporate owners in mls it's obviously it's a interesting topic but i feel like colorado rapids have suffered almost like the most we got stan Kroenke. He owns the Rams. He owns the Nuggets. He owns Arsenal. I think he owns the lacrosse team. And the Rapids have just suffered. He he gets the teams and sells all the teams all the time. And I feel like I I think there needs to be like better like plans as for expansion teams so that that doesn't happen. Like Stan Kroenke, a Stan Kroenke situation. So, I'd agree with that. And I think that MLS has definitely done a better job of that. Almost all the ownership groups that are coming in definitely are more motivated or more invested in their clubs. You're not getting too many teams anymore that are coming in like, you know, uh, Robert Kraft or Stan Kroenke, who, where MLS is clearly an afterthought for them. I mean, even looking at Arthur Blank with the Atlanta what are they, the Atlanta Falcons and Atlanta United. I mean, it's, it really feels like it's, it's 1A and 1B with them. And he's not just, you know, cashing his checks. He's really invested in that team. So I, I think that MLS has done a better job of vetting kind of potential ownership groups as well. Um, so there's all kinds of talks about USL with their promotion and relegation. If they can, like, overtake MLS, do you think a promotion relegation system can is better than a – higher like more owners are invested in mls will people actually tune in more to usl i don't think they will just because it has promotion and relegation i am fascinated by promotion and relegation the predecessor usl actually had promotion and relegation i think it used to be on fs1 i fox soccer channel excuse me because uh, i remember watching like some games and and this was before it split and all the soccer wars started with nasl and all that stuff um, but they had promotion and relegation before and nobody watched it, right? So promotion and relegation is not just going to be the, the end-all, be-all. It's a fascinating concept. And I think that it 
under the right system and the right business strategy, it could work in the U.S. It would have to involve a hell of a lot more TV money and a lot more kind of revenue sharing and guarantees for it to be implemented. But there's enough demand for soccer in this country uh, to have a well thought out promotion and relegation system and have it be successful. And it could be something like there's three divisions and they all have a playoff, but maybe the top division gets 10 teams, the second division gets four teams, and the third division gets two teams. And then you have a 16-team playoff. And it could be something like that where it's not truly, you know, promotion and relegation, but like everyone kind of knows that what the top, top league, you know, it could be something like that. Um, and it could be effective. And that's just an idea I, I just threw out off the top of my head. I have not thought about this enough, so I don't know how many fans you have. Don't anybody come after me because I know pro-rel can be a, a touchy subject in the U.S. But I, I don't, I think it could work. And I'm also okay with MLS being the way that it is. I, I just, um, I don't have like a huge preference either way. I think it could be fascinating. I just think that it, it needs to be thought of, thought very well thought out. And it's not going to be the silver bullet where if we implement this, all of a sudden MLS franchises, franchises are each worth $2 billion. Or at that point, MLS clubs are worth $2 billion, you know. So going back to U.S. soccer, I was listening to something on by an uh, interview with the U.S. Men's National Team GM, Mick. What's his first name? Mick, I know his last name is McBride. Um, Brian. Brian McBride. He's interview and he said, well, the U.S. Men's National Team always starts at the well, what do you say? U.S. Men's National Team needs to develop younger and start at like the U15 level, like more implemented on the younger, which is younger age groups, which is definitely interesting. How do you feel? And if if you look at, I think the stats are the younger you go, the um, better defensively you're going to go, better like structure. It's going to be more structured soccer as like a country but then the attacking creativity gets sucked out of them because they've been, they've been taught all drills and yelled at since they were like eight years old. So, Got it. Are you saying like you're worried about overcoaching like young yeah. players rather than just letting them develop? Yeah, I think, I think there's something to that. Uh, I also think, don't we have a U15 national team? So I, I didn't see the quote, and so I'm not sure exactly the context of it. But I think I am much more for the development of adaptive and flexible players than it is for, you know, just drilling in one set system. Um, I think this country is way too big and is way too diverse to just operate like the Netherlands where 433, everybody's educated, you know, the same way and they're just going to play the system regardless. I think that, you know, I think you embrace the, the differences and you try to teach players as much as possible tactical technical I think is so important I think that's way more important at the youth levels just get their touches down get all that stuff and the tactical stuff just comes as you as you play more and I think it's much more important to just you know have players who can do a lot more be more comfortable on the ball and then the other stuff can sort of be be taught at the later ages yeah uh overcoaching is definitely an interesting uh um topic because a big entrepreneur, Gary Gary V, he said, if he, he's like a billionaire, and he said if he could restart, make any business from the ground up, he'd have a youth sports company, like uh, training, because so many parents think that their kid's going to be the next big <laughs> thing, so there's people investing, like, even at my club, 
I don't play, I don't like ECNL or the MLS Youth League. People pay like ten, tens of thousands of dollars to play there. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely interesting that people think, everybody, all the parents think that their, their son or daughter is going to be the next Plusik. So. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I definitely have seen that firsthand. And, um, you know, out, over here in PA, there's a lot of like mega clubs. And when I was growing up, same thing, you know, paying ten, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 a year for kids to play soccer. And it was just insane. And it's crazy to me that I know the MLS clubs, most of the academies have gotten rid of, of pay to play, but a lot of the other, you know, academies outside of the MLS bubble um, still require payments. And now we're getting into training compensation and solidarity payments. It's like a way to get rid of that. But, uh, you know, and I've, I've talked about that on our podcast many times, but uh, if you do some research listeners on training compensation and solidarity payments, it's, it's an interesting sort of wormhole to go down and could potentially solve a lot of issues with pay to play, but there's a whole lot of uh, stakeholders in the U.S. That, that cause problems with that. Even like my club, Real Colorado, it's like, it's, I'm pretty sure it's one of the biggest clubs compared to Colorado Rapids, because Colorado Rapids have a bunch of different clubs all over Colorado, mm-hmm. and um, there's tons of fees, the summer training fee, the coaching fee, tournament fee, it's like, it's like college, there's just fees for everything, and it's, I mean, it's another topic for another day. Probably. All right, I think that's all I have for you, thanks for coming on the podcast, man. Of course. Yeah. Thank you for having me on. And, uh, you know, I wish you luck on on the podcast and, um, yeah, thanks for, thanks for having me. Yeah. Thank you.